From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening, everyone. Hope you've had a fantastic week. Welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council and your Friday host. So honored to have you joining us this evening. And boy, we've got a power-packed program lined up for you. Let me give you some of the highlights that we'll be covering. First of all, the debt ceiling and the budget debate are set to take center stage on Capitol Hill next week. We are always happy to have a conversation about the budget. Uh, we've been very clear about that, about the spending uh, that they propose. We already have a sense of what they value with their 22% uh, percent, uh, uh, spending uh, cuts. That was White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre with the Biden administration's spin on the topic. Well, Ohio Congressman Warren Davidson will join me to discuss the Republicans' plan to avoid a default on our national debt while at the same time reigning in spending. And you'll remember that Secretary of Homeland Security uh, Alejandro Mayorkas testified before Congress twice this past week. I want to let's take another look at one of the things he said. It is my testimony that the border is secure and we are working every day day and night to increase its security. The challenges that we are experiencing at the border cannot be overstated. Wow. Well, based on the secretary's disastrous performance, not to mention his agency's complete mishandling of our southern border, there has now been a vote of no confidence resolution that's been introduced against Mayorkas in the Senate. We'll be talking with Texas Congressman Keith Self a little bit later in the program. And according to a researcher at the junk mail fundraising firm, let's put it that way, known as the Southern Poverty Law Center, parents, now catch this, parents who want to remove pornographic material from school libraries, now, according to the SPLC, those parents represent a threat to civil rights that traces all the way back to the KKK. Unbelievable. Well, the Daily Signal's Tyler O'Neill will join us a little bit later in the program. And then, folks, before the clock strikes midnight tonight, or perhaps even some are saying while we're in this program tonight, we are expecting to hear from the U.S. Supreme Court and they are expected to weigh in on the legality of the FDA's approval of the abortion pill Mifepristone. The abortion industry, keep in mind, compares this dangerous pill to medicines like Tylenol. But there are far too many women that know the real truth. I'll be discussing this with FRC's Chris Gasick and Mary Zock. So just a reminder, friends, if you miss any portion of this evening's program, you can catch it at our website, TonyPerkins.com. And, of course, you can catch archive programs as well, along with plenty of action items there on the website. So be sure to check that out and keep it handy. Now let's jump into the program for this evening. As we have skyrocketing inflation uh, that really is outpacing wages, um, and, by the way, it's been doing that the entire time throughout President Biden's term in office, uh, but nonetheless, the Biden administration continues to push for more spending. Well, this week, House Republicans unveiled their bill 
to avoid uh, a default in our credit while also slashing overall spending. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Warren Davidson. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee. He represents the 8th Congressional District of Ohio. Congressman Davidson, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Yeah, great to join you, Jody. Thank you. Well, listen, here we are in the middle of uh, inflation and uh, debt ceiling debate. Uh, we all know the uh, national debt now approaching $32 trillion. Uh, what, what, at some point, Congressman, this has got to be viewed as a moral obligation to deal with the financial disaster that is now very much prevalent in our country. Yeah, debt is a moral failure. Frankly, debt serves as a form of bondage to people. Uh, people that get deep into debt find that out the hard way, and the United States is really dealing with that today. Uh, people don't think about the consequences of this spending, but go back to Donald Trump's uh, economy pre-COVID. You know, the economy was smoking hot. Everybody was getting hired. Lowest unemployment, uh, you know, for a generation. High growth rate organically in the economy not because of inflation, but because more people wanted to buy things and the markets were functioning well. COVID hits, uh, they artificially closed the economy. Uh, people knew there was a pandemic, but in many places they weren't even free to interact or transact or even go to work. Uh, and, and then the substitute was more government spending, lots more spending. And there was so much more spending that there wasn't even buyers for the debt. The, the Federal Reserve, served as a backstop and bought up $5 trillion worth of uh, U.S. Treasuries that no one else in the market would buy. We told them that it would cause inflation. They said it wouldn't. Then they said, well, it won't make it to consumers. We said it will. They said, well, it'll be transitory. Now everyone knows it's not transitory. Everyone knows they were lying at the time. And Joe Biden wants to keep on that same agenda that's hitting people with crippling inflation. So that's what that debt limit's about. It's about not bankrupting America today, but it's also about not bankrupting America in the future and, frankly, dragging households along with collateral damage with these high interest rates. Well, and if, if it's not dealt with, that is a great chronology of where we are and how we have gotten to this point that you just unfolded for us. But we're, we're at the point that if something does not happen, we are unquestionably going to be in serious trouble in this country, and the ramifications of that uh, are will be things that we've never experienced before. But one thing that I sense, and I want, to, I want to hear from you about this, it appears to me that for the first time, at least in a long time, that Republicans in the House appear to be pretty united on this whole budget issue. Uh, and, and just from the perspective that they understand something's got to be done. Do, do you agree with that? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a broad consensus that we have to change course now. It's taken a long time to get to unity behind a proposal. And, you know, we'll find out this week if we're really there. We're really close either way. Um, but fundamentally, you've got Joe Biden's plan to just kick the can down the road and say, you know, there is no plan to cut spending ever. The only plan is to spend more faster. Uh, and that's the thing, you know, you talk about ramifications. There are really three categories of people here. There are people that just don't get the implications. Frankly, they're not real bright or well-informed, one or the other. Uh, there's some people that will get it the minute they hear it. So that's why these segments that you explain it to them 
people is so important. Then there's people that kind of get the implications, but they're like, well, okay, but you know, we can't really change course. And then there's the people that say, I understand the implications. And you, you either draw two conclusions. They're for the status quo because of the implications. That's the Biden administration. Or they're opposed to the status quo because they understand that, that we can't keep on this path. It is going to be a crash. It's hard to think that there are people that really are for crashing our financial sector. And why? Because they want to fundamentally remake America. That is the Biden agenda. And you see it on issue after issue. They're trying to create a system that redistributes wealth uh, at every turn under the guise of equity. And people are starting to really see that for what it is. Well, there's not very many who have the boldness to come out and say what you just said. Uh, and and I appreciate that because I believe that's the the feeling that that your average American has out there. You look you look at what's going on, and there seems to be no other explanation. So, uh, Congressman, what do you what do you anticipate is going to happen with these budget negotiations? The president's saying there's not going to be any negotiations, but what do you really anticipate? You say you believe you've got the votes to get there. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Say between now and the end of April, next couple of weeks. Well, I think by the end of April, we'll pass something out of the House, uh, and that will make it clear to Joe Biden and to Senate Democrats that, you know, uh, there will be a negotiation. There won't be uh, just a clean debt ceiling raise. Uh, Democrats may say, hey, you know, the media and everybody else is just going to come down hard on Republicans. Uh, and so we're not negotiating ever. They can go ahead and force us to, quote, default. Uh, and it's all going to all the stinks going to go under Republicans. A lot of times well, Republicans panic and they fold. So hopefully yeah, we I, stay strong and we stay together. You have a majority, but only if you work together. There's only four seats there. Uh, frankly, I'd like to see a few things that aren't in this uh, proposal yet. But we do have to get uh, something across the finish line to say you can't stay on the course. It might not be everything that we need, but we at least have to stake that first step towards some. Every American knows we can cut something. Right. The idea that we're just going to keep spending like this, everyone knows that they're in a problem because of this inflation, housing prices, food prices, energy prices. You think about energy policy and border security policies. Joe Biden is for these policies because of the implications. That means he's for this inflation because of the impl implications. And his plan is to keep dumping fuel on it. We have to make him change course. It's hurting American citizens. Absolutely. And there, there's no question we cannot continue kicking the can down the court, as has been the case in years past. If I can, uh, let me let me switch gears a little bit. I, I came across this this topic, and quite frankly, you were one of the first persons I thought of that I'd like to get your input on this. But the Biden administration is wanting to implement new regulations for home home buyers that essentially would penalize Americans with good credit scores by making them pay for higher mortgage payments to cover for those with bad credits uh, due to their own choices in most cases. So can you explain this? Is this some sort of, uh, some people are calling it a responsibility tax? Explain a little bit of what's going on here. It's really simple. It's socialism. It's a redistribution plan. It takes not just from the rich, it takes from people that have even slightly below average credit and imposes a fee on them when they buy a home um, that costs them more on their mortgage uh, and gives it to people that have bad credit. So the average credit score is uh, about 710. 
And this would impose a fee, roughly 1% uh, a fee on anyone that has down to a 680 credit score. So if you have even slightly below average credit, you're going to pay a fee so that people that have bad credit can get less expensive mortgages. Uh, and that's equity. Equity is just code for redistribution uh, or socialism. Uh, and it's really just, you know, taking it, it, it is legal theft it, just because they they, quote, pass a law. And in this case, it's even more illegal than that. It's more wrong than that. It's because Joe Biden said, you know, FHFA, but it's really the Biden administration driving all these policies. And again, they know exactly the implications, and that's why they're for it. And it literally is a, a penalty to anyone who's even remotely responsible, even up to slightly below average credit. We've only got about 30 seconds. Thank you so much for, for joining us again. Uh, how, responsible borrowers, how do you think they're going to respond to this and how how should they respond? Well, they should sue because it's unconstitutional for the president to impose a tax without it passing through the House of Representatives. Wow. Congressman Warren Davidson, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, friends, coming up, there's rumblings on Capitol Hill regarding Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, whether or not he should even be allowed to keep his job. We were talking about this yesterday, and much more continues to be pressing forward in this regard, that he is unfit to continue serving. Congressman Keith Self will join me after the break to discuss this. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. We'll be right back right after this brief break. Stay tuned. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Again, I'm your host, Jody Heiss. We welcome you on board this evening. Well, yesterday, Kansas Senator Roger Marshall introduced a vote of no confidence resolution for Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. We've had enough of the failures from the Department of Homeland Security and believe that the secretary is not fit to faithfully carry out the duties of his office. That was Senator Marshall, and all of this represents really the first effort in the Senate to a parallel impeachment discussion, if you will, that's already underway among some uh, representatives in the House. And, and so with no end to the border crisis in sight, and now with Title 42 set to expire next month, could Secretary Mayorkas finally face accountability for his ineffective performance and overall mismanagement of the southern border. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Keith Self. He serves on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, as well as the Committee on Veterans Affairs. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Self, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much for having me, Jody. Good to see you on the show today. Well, likewise, good to see you. You're looking great, as always, I might add. All right, let's let's begin. A scale of one to ten, ten being outstanding, one being horrible. How would you rate Secretary Mayorkas and his uh, performing his duties in regard to the southern border? Well, Jody, he's not. I mean, the policy of this administration is an open border. Uh, having been down to the border several times myself, I came away with the conclusion that uh, the policy of the administration is an open border. So, I mean. Doing his job is not the equation. Uh, the policy is an open border. Which is unthinkable. I likewise have been to every sector in our southern border, and I, every time I leave there, it's like I cannot believe this is happening in the United States of America. So let me ask you this. With the resolution that Senator Marshall put forward yesterday, do you think that this somehow puts Secretary Mayorkas on notice? 
Well, he's doing as his boss wants him to do. I think what it ought to put, who it ought to put on notice is the U.S. Congress. Uh, we are behind the, uh, the power curve here to get uh, this done. Uh, we need to be uh, moving forward with impeachment. Uh, you heard uh, Senator Marshall say that he would welcome the impeachment papers from the House of Representatives. Uh, we campaigned. Back in the campaign, you heard uh, many Republicans say that Mayorkas was one of those that was going to have a reserved parking slot at the Capitol for his impeachment hearing. So let's, let's get it done. Well, that is a, a great point, and I, I really want to underscore that, that the one that really is put on notice with this, it ought to be put on notice, is Congress to, to do the job. I mean, here is an absolute failure. It's worse than a, a failure. This is almost like a deliberate attempt to open our borders and allow into this country who knows what uh, from criminals to, I mean, we could go on and on with this. Right. And and you also mentioned something I want to I want to come back to who who ultimately is, uh, do you think? And I know this is some degree speculation, but is is he simply following orders from the White House or is Mayorkas doing this horrible job on his own? Uh, this is the difference in worldview between liberals and conservatives. Our view is he's doing a horrible job. Uh, to the liberals, he is succeeding. Uh, if you're going to change the culture of the United States, one of the things you've got to do is to import uh, other cultures into the United States. Now, I know we need the workers. We need uh, the labor force. But the way they're doing it, almost 90 percent of the uh, illegal immigrants coming across the border now are single males. Uh, that is not a family unit uh, that, uh, that they try to tell us people fleeing from oppression. Uh, single males do not represent family units coming across our border. Well, and you're exactly right that what we're dealing with are two different worldviews altogether. And so we, we look at this as an absolute failure. Interesting that you say that the other side of the aisle looks at this as, uh, as a success. Uh, but the secretary had two, what again, what I would consider disastrous days testifying before Congress this week. Do you think there is anything he could have said or done that would have changed people's mind who look at his performance as absolutely horrendous? Absolutely not, Jody. What would he say? I mean, March, we had a 20% increase in illegal immigration across the border from February in one month, a 20% increase. And they're waiting for Title 42 to be uh, uh, dismantled on May the 11th. And that's when we'll start seeing the tsunami, uh, because it will build slowly when people realize, yes, they really did do away with Title 42. So now I can start this. So tsunami, as you know, builds slowly and slowly, and you see it coming. And then it crashes over you. And I think that's what we may be facing if Title 42 does indeed go away. Well, I think most people, our viewers, listeners, are probably familiar with Title 42. But just in case, what are we talking about uh, for Title 42? And why is it such a big deal to be expiring here in a couple of weeks? Well, Title 42 allowed uh, uh, the United States to uh, expel the illegal immigrants based on contagious diseases. Uh, it's a holdover from the COVID days. 
but uh, if it goes away, they will be, then be able to claim asylum, and we will have to process them under the normal asylum rules, and it would be a tremendous increase in the numbers of illegal immigrants that we would see coming across our borders. Okay, we've got uh, a minute left here. Uh, let's say this whole impeachment stuff, what uh, Senator Marshall introduced, what's happening, and the responsibility, as you say now, the ball in the court of Congress to do their job. Let's just say this goes through. <clears throat> what what would, does a replacement look like? If they're taking orders from the president, would we get a replacement with just more of the same, do you think? Well, certainly they would try. The president would try. He would nominate another uh, ultra-liberal. Uh, but uh, the confirmation in the Senate, because the Senate now understands what's happening on the border better, uh, now that they've started internally to talk about this, I think that it would be much more difficult uh, for his uh, his nominee uh, to be confirmed. So let's, uh, let's look at the confirmation process as perhaps the hurdle that he would have to cross next time. Congressman Keith Self, thank you so much for your great insight and input this evening on Washington Watch. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Jody. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, my friend. All right. Stay tuned. There's much more coming your way on Washington Watch right after this break. We'll be right, right back. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and we're honored to have you joining us this evening. All right, I want to begin this segment by asking you a few questions to ponder. Uh, those of you who are parents, do you, do you think that parents should have a say in their children's education? Do you think that students 
should not be judged according to the color of their skin? Or do you think that parents should know if their children at school claim to identify as a transgender? Or do you think that books that are sexually explicit and have sexually explicit images should be removed from school libraries? Well, if you answered yes to any of those questions, then you should be informed that a researcher with the Southern Poverty Law Center says that you might unknowingly be a member of the Uptown Clan. The Uptown Clan. Well, we here at the Family Research Center, we, we know that the SPLC should not be believed on anything as it relates to the truth. After all, they themselves inspired now-convicted terrorist Floyd Corkins to come to our headquarters to attempt a mass murder about a decade ago. So here to discuss the newest frontier of the SPLC's crusade of misinformation is Tyler O'Neill. He's the managing editor for the Daily Signal and the author of the book, Making Hate Pay, The Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Tyler, welcome back to Washington Watch. We're honored to have you. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Jody. Well, listen, let's kind of unfold this, unpack it for our viewers, our listeners. What is this State of Black America report that the SPLC uh, is talking about? Yeah, so the National Urban League released this State of Black America report, which is which purports to discuss the threats that black Americans face to their civil liberties. And it's interesting because it, it mentions a legitimate terrorist, you know, white, white supremacist attack and the rise of, of hate crimes that the FBI has documented. But then it pivots to conservative politics. And it suggests that any, any uh, effort to decrease abortion access or ensure that voting uh, that that when people vote there, you know, they can show their ID, any any voter integrity efforts, or of course, the parental rights movement itself. If you support any of these things, you are a threat to the civil rights of black Americans, according to this report. And they claim that the parental rights movement is rooted in racism, which is just shocking to me. And as as you noted, one of the one of the reports in the state of Black America was written by an SPLC researcher, and she claimed that if you support the parental rights movement, you are a descendant, you know, an echo of the uptown clans that formed to continue segregation after Brown v. Board. Okay, let, we we just we got to go further uh, with this, Tyler. I. I I've got to, and I share your struggle with this. I'm struggling with it as well. Uh, but unpack for us uh, this whole concept of parental rights somehow being steeped in racism. What, I mean, parents have rights to raise their children. How in the world are they going from point A to point B to say that, the parental rights movement is steeped in racism. So much of it traces back to critical race theory and then to the claim that books are being banned. And they suggest, you know, interestingly, the state of black America says 
that Fahrenheit 451 is coming true in our lifetimes. That okay, this, explain that. What is Fahrenheit yeah. 451? Yeah. So Fahrenheit 451 is a great book by Ray Bradbury. It's a dystopian novel about a government that burns books. And it's interesting because the state of Black America claims that the efforts to ban books from school libraries, and here we're talking about books like uh, Lawn Boy and Gender Queer, books that often have uh, pornographic images or pornographic text that describe lewd sexual acts. Uh, these books that parents rightly want out of school libraries so that young children cannot be exposed to them in in school, these restricting these books amounts to an attack on Black people and LGBT people, essentially the argument goes, because and it, it's it's very interesting, this SPLC report, the way she describes these books. She doesn't acknowledge the concerns about pornographic content uh, in these tomes. She goes directly and says, these books often show LGBT people or people of color. And that's that's such a red herring and a distraction from the true issue. But she brings it up as an example of, oh, there's racism here. When there isn't racism at all, like some of the most at the the strongest advocates for parental rights that I know here in in where I live in Northern Virginia, you have Azra Omani, who is by no means white. Uh, you actually have a woman who was recently booted from the Virgin in from office in Virginia, who is who is Indian American and very I dark. Got about Indian. fifteen seconds. Yeah. <laughs> but but. People of all races have been frustrated and infuriated to see critical race theory taught in schools and pornographic materials in school libraries. Yeah, it's unbelievable that they don't recognize the damaging effects of pornography on young minds. Uh, Tyler, I wanted to, uh, just as we go off here in this segment, you're the managing editor of the Daily Wire Must Read, I should say, publication from Heritage Foundation and a partner. Uh, with our own uh, Washington stand. This is y'all's 50th year anniversary. Congratulations to you and everyone on the team. Thank you. Yeah, from the Daily Signal, thank you for featuring us and for mentioning my book, which explains more. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. All right, welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and I apologize. We had to cut Tyler O'Neill off there just a little bit. That's why they call it a hard break. Uh, they don't wait on us, but it's great to have Tyler Uh, And listen, we are waiting literally any moment. It could happen. It could go as late as till midnight tonight. But we're tracking the Supreme Court this evening as justices are going to weigh in at some point before the end of the day on the legality of the abortion pill mifepristone. The court previously issued an order allowing the abortion uh, pill to remain available by mail delivery and without any tighter restrictions until at least midnight tonight as they consider whether to maintain the hold uh, from the lower court. And meanwhile, of course, the left continues to uh, perpetuate lies regarding the abortion pill, most notably regarding its safety. Imagine for a moment if a judge was poised to strike down access to another safe and effective drug routinely used as part of medical care, like Tylenol or Advil. All right. I wanted you to see it uh, yourself. That was Massachusetts Representative Ayanna Presley comparing these dangerous abortion pills that kill babies to something that you would take for a headache. Well, with me now to discuss the many myths that the left is putting forward about these pills is Chris Kasich. He's the newly minted, I might say, senior fellow for regulatory affairs here at the Family Research Council. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on uh, Washington Watch. Good to see you. It's a pleasure to be with you again, Jody. Well, listen, first of all, congratulations on your new role at FRC. Thank you very much. proud of you. (laughs) It's much appreciated. All right, let's let's dive right into some of the myths that the left continues to put forward about these abortion pills. 
there was a Washington Stand article on this topic, in fact, written by our colleague Mary Zock, uh, who will be joining me here a little bit later. Uh, but let's start with the first myth that the majority of women who take chemical abortion drugs do not experience serious complications. Well, this is a problem because uh, over the years we've had a long track record with mifepristone abortions and uh, pro-life doctors have gathered up through the Freedom of Information Act request something like 4,000 adverse event reports that have been filed with the FDA. So the way I think about this is that um, what do those reports show? And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty stark tale. Um, now, that, let me just make one point, that the, getting some adverse event reports don't tell you, like, how many people have taken the drug and, you know, what percentage have the, that adverse event. But the New York Times itself, in a, in a big story it published, uh, you know, it was basically on the 1st of April, just a few weeks ago, uh, admitted that 3 to 5 percent of women have complications either from uh, an incomplete abortion or retained products of conception, meaning that the baby has is still, parts of the baby is still retained in the, in the, uh, in the uterus. So if you think about it that way, that's 1 in 20 um, to something like 1 in 30, 1 in 33 of all the patients are having some kind of uh, adverse event to the point that they would need a second procedure. And that is, by definition, considered to be a serious adverse event. So this is a, a, a vastly, um, let's say, the, the, the risks of this drug are, are, are very much undersold to women who are trying to get the drug. And when you see the types of adverse events that happen, there's a lot of, I mean, just, you know, a lot of bleeding, and you see cases of transfusions and uh, retained products of conception and uh, the need for and ongoing pregnancies. It's, it, I mean, essentially, the drugs are, are inducing a miscarriage. And so that's a very complicated process. There, as, as many of the viewers here will know, it's, it's just a process that is not something that you can treat like taking a Tylenol, right? Well, you know, and so I, I think even to use the word myth in this this case is not even accurate. It's an outright lie that this is a safe medication when you have the the numbers that you just gave us of serious complications. Emergency room visits are not at all uncommon with this. All right, let's go on. What's, what's another myth that the left continues pushing with these chemical abortion drugs? Well, I think one of the the, uh, the myths that I think are, is important um, is that the uh, uh, is that the, is the, the products themselves um, are available and, and can be sold readily through the mail, um, and so this is a kind of an interesting uh, development that occurred in, a, in about uh, and, and safely sent through the mail, legally sent through the mail, and this is what's sort of one of the things that's arisen in the case here is that the um, uh, and, I, and I think it's one of the areas where they're in the biggest trouble, the other side is, because the, the Comstock Act of 1873 actually forbids the, the mailing of uh, these um, of, of, of abortion drugs, drugs that can produce abortion, uh, in the mail. And so in the, in the COVID year, and, and uh, the FDA took the, uh, and, a, and a federal judge sort of conspired to uh, concoct a new uh, regimen or, or, or a new regulatory environment for the drug that allowed it to um, be sold uh, through the mail as part of the, the distribution system. And it's clearly, 
at loggerheads with the, with the law itself. And this is going to be one of the interesting features of the approval, I mean, of the decision that comes down by the Supreme Court either tonight or later if they, if they delay it a little more. But, I mean, there were sort of two parts of this decision that's just worth, worth noting, is that uh, there was this one part about the Comstock Act and this, this mailing issue, which, which has arisen only recently. And then there was a whole part about the underlying approval itself, which doctors had challenged as early as 2002. So just to just make sure that people understand, this, this challenge did not come about after the Dobbs decision. This isn't something that's just been right. flung upon the court in the last few months. This has been going on for two decades. And in fact, there was one period of 14 years where the FDA refused to answer uh, the um, a, a petition or a complaint against the approval, uh, it was over 6,000 days. And the, and the judge in the, in the trial court in Texas noted this as part of the irregularity and part of the sort of the problems that had it, it happened in allowing this, you know, why are we considering this now is what he said. We're considering it now because the FDA has played all these regulatory games and, and has delayed and stone, he used the term stonewalled. So there was a lot of... Uh, uh, opprobrium on his part in, in, uh, with regard to the behavior of the FDA. Well, one of the other things that I have heard uh, along these lines is that the, the gestational age at which a woman can actually uh, take these chemical abortions, that it doesn't matter. And from everything that I've read and seen about it, most certainly oh, that absolutely It's absolutely untrue. You're absolutely correct. It does matter. So the further along you go, the, the, the higher the rate of failed um, abortion, right? So if you take it at, let's say, five weeks of, pre of gestational age or six weeks, but that, or then it's, it's quite different than 10 weeks or 12 weeks. And, and some of these people take the—it's hard to date pregnancies, right? So um, the, the, the longer the pregnancy goes, the more ineffective the drug regimen becomes. That means that there's a greater chance of having to have— um, one of these surgical procedures or, you know, all of that sort of uh, uh, follow-up. Well, Chris, listen, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. Again, congratulations on your uh, new role at FRC. Uh, we're proud of you. Thank you for talking to us about this. I want to switch over to our next guest. But listen, we've, uh, friends, we've got to pray that the courts uh, rule uh, on this whole thing regarding mifepristine in such a way that we're going to protect and and. Uh, have at utmost interest the safety of women uh, with this drug. I want to continue uh, this whole discussion as we wait the Supreme Court's decision regarding chemical abortions uh, and specifically the pill mifepristone. Uh, we've, we've just discussed some of the lies, I won't use the word myth, some of the lies that the abortion industry is putting forth regarding chemical abortions. Uh, and they keep repeating these and without any evidence to back up. I, I want to just play another clip again from Iana Presley, who you just heard a moment ago. Let's play clip five, please. While there are many forces and people at work who seek to spread lies and misinformation, let me set the record straight. Abortion care is routine medical care. Abortion care is safe. Wow. Uh, it's stunning. Abortion, abortion kills a baby, for one thing. And what we just learned, these chemical abortion pills are not safe. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Mary Zock. She's the director of the Center 
of uh, Human Dignity here at FRC. Mary, great seeing you again this week. Thanks so much for having me back. All right. Well, let's uh, you've written extensively about the lies that the left and the abortion industry spread regarding chemical abortions. Uh, but you've also you've just been inundated with all sorts of excruciating stories from a multitude of women who have experienced the dangerous side effects of these pills. Tell us a little bit about some of those experiences that you've encountered. Well, perhaps one of the most moving stories that I have seen on this is a, is a story from a girl named Natalia. And Natalia talks about her DIY abortion. And, and she says how, you know, no one suggested that she should take another path. No one suggested that there were other options. But, but the real, really moving point of this comes when, when she talks about the abortion itself, the, the, the use of the abortion pills ex- themselves. The, the people who gave her these pills told her to expect a heavy period. And what happened instead was that she delivered her visibly recognizable unborn child into the toilet. And, and this was a heartbreaking experience for her, one that, one that she has not gotten over, one that she, she will never get over. And it, it, the lies of the abortion industry, you know, at, at, at 10 weeks, we know that baby has fingers and toes and eyes and a nose and is visibly recognizable. That's what they're calling a clump of cells. And that's what moms are delivering unexpectedly into the toilet. That's not health care. Wow. No, that's not health care. And as, as horrifying as you described. Well, we're going to be hearing uh, later on this evening from the court. I can only imagine what some of these women that, uh, and I know you just gave one example, but what their reaction is going to be uh, with whatever decision the, the court comes up with. But what are you kind of anticipating uh, this evening from the Supreme Court? Well, my hope is that the court recognizes that they need to put the health and safety of women and unborn children over the FDA's political agenda. We know that chemical abortion was was rushed through the the approval process by the FDA without adequately studying whether or not it was safe for women. We know that it's not safe for women. We know that the FDA has tried to cover this up by saying you don't even need to report adverse events. It's, it's voluntary. The only things that you have to report are deaths. And, and we know that the media has, has worked with them in this cover-up. The New York Times reported that, you know, there, are, there aren't serious complications from chemical abortion. Well, their definition of a moderate complication is when someone has to have an additional surgery to remove the, the unborn, the remaining unborn children, unborn child's baby parts from the woman's body. That's that's not a moderate complication. And in fact, the mm-hmm. FDA doesn't define that as moderate. So I hope that the Supreme Court sees we need to put the health and safety of women over the FDA's political agenda. Absolutely. Well, Mary, if I can, I, I'd like to switch gears. We've only got a couple of minutes left. And uh, while you're with us, I wanted, uh, there, there may be, not not everyone may know that you yourself were a collegiate uh, sports athlete, Division I basketball player. So as we watched uh, this week the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act pass in the House of Representatives, uh, that's got to be very personal to you. Uh, what, what were your thoughts? Absolutely. You know, my, my story is is one of uh, the girl who walked on the team. I, I 
did not make the team at the University of Notre Dame for the first three years that I tried out. And then my senior year, by some miracle, I made it on. I, I sat in the very last seat on the bench. And the first game was on my birthday. The last game was in the national championship. But every day in between, we practiced against five male athletes. Every single one of those athletes was better than me. And had just one of them said he identified as a woman, I would have watched that season from the stands instead of fulfilling my wow. dream of being on the bench. And, and that's why this is personal for me. The girl, the girl who comes in second to the person who is identifying as a woman but is actually a biological male, she's losing. But the girl who is no longer on the team, she doesn't even have the chance to compete. Absolutely. And, and both of those are wrong. Both of those are unfair. And we need to change that. Absolutely. Well, we and uh, incredible story. But Greg Stubbe actually put this forward. I want to play a real quick clip from him who put forth this bill and uh, get your reaction. Title IX was created for women's sports and now the left wants to kill it. Parents do not want biological men in locker rooms with their daughters, nor do they believe it's equitable that a male can compete with women in female athletics. It's the whole purpose that Title IX was created to begin with. Wow, we've got less than a minute. Give me your reaction to that. Really grateful for what he said, and he's absolutely right. Title IX was created to give women equal opportunities in sports, and we've seen women succeed in, in the workplace because of the lessons that they learned from sports. We can't take that away. We can't take that away. And your story itself, I think, Mary, is such an incredible. It had just been one person stepped up, it would have bumped you off the entire team and, in your case, prevented you from the experience of a national championship game. How, how incredible is that? Well, it's, it's, it was a dream come true for me. I think the dream would have been complete had we won the national championship. Yes. But, but, but it was there. still a dream come true. Game. And, and I hope Mary, other little girls get that. Mary Zock, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch this evening. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. All right, friends, hope you have a fantastic weekend. Listen, don't ever be discouraged. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Go shine. Make a difference. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next week. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.